It's good to have our students back from their retreat this weekend. How was it? All right, all right. I expect that kind of life during my sermon. Uh, I know y'all aren't sleepy at all. I know you probably all got in bed on time. It is good to have y'all back. It's especially good that my son, Levi, made it back. Um, I hear that uh, he almost got left behind. And, uh, but, you know, we got so many kids at my house missing one, it would take us a while, uh, take us a while to recognize that they weren't there. Uh, now, I really do hope that y'all had a great time and uh, the Lord moved in a great way. Uh, so I'm about halfway through this sermon series entitled Preach and Heal. Uh, this, this sermon series basically is, is uh, entitled after basically what, what Jesus did. Jesus preached and Jesus healed. It's kind of what he did in his ministry. I have to tell you, and I, I told the first service this, I probably already mentioned this, but I was originally very, very intimidated by this sermon series. I've kind of gotten to the point to where, you know, this is, this is my third pastorate, and there's a lot of passages that... I've preached in each church, and I've never done a series on the healing ministry of Jesus. And so I was a man. I was a little intimidated by it. I thought, man, I, I hope I, I, I hope I hope I have enough to say. And man, I, every week as I get into these texts, I mean, the Lord just shows me some uh, some great things. And uh, I hope that's translated over to you. I hope that you've been blessed uh, by this series and by the Word of God. Um, because, you know, ha but basically half of what we have about Jesus contained in the Gospels uh, it involves His healing. And I think those healing moments have given us some great opportunities just to learn some things about Jesus. Um, so before we get started today, I, I want to tell you the title of my sermon is entitled Impressing Jesus. Uh, while that may not be a very impressing title, I hope to give you a little bit better of an explanation of what, of what that means and what I'm driving at. But we live in a world where people are impressed by all sorts of things. Uh, maybe just this past week, maybe you were impressed with something that you saw of value, something that someone owns. Sometimes we get impressed by those things. Wow, I wish that I could afford that. Man, that's a really nice house or, or, or what it might be. But we also get impressed by things that people accomplish. Uh, there are some people that live in this world that have achieved goals that the average person among us won't be able to achieve. Uh, to achieve. And when we look at those things, we think to ourselves, well, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. There are also some people that have a lot of capabilities that average people don't have. And so when we see them with those certain skills, we get pretty impressed by that. Well, whenever we read the New Testament, whenever we read the whole Bible for that matter, we should read about a God that very much impresses us. I mean, God owns everything, so he is infinitely more wealthy than anyone that we could be impressed by in this world. God has accomplished some things that no one else could ever possibly do. He has parted seas. He has rained down fire from heaven. He even incarnated himself in flesh. That's, that's, that's pretty imp impressive. God has a skill set that goes far and above anything that could impress us about a human being. In fact, everything that we see and know about our God is, is pretty impressive. I mean, hallowed be his name for all that he has done and all that he is. Everything about him is, is impressive. And we see that in the Gospels. As Jesus walked around and taught, people were just awestruck and impressed by the things that he said. 
As he healed people, people again, they were just awestruck. They, 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 they just stood back in amazement and were astonished at the things that he accomplished. But conversely, we don't see Jesus getting impressed by people and places and things very much, really hardly at all in the New Testament. We don't see Jesus walking into a synagogue and being like, wow, this is a pretty impressive, this is a great place you got here. We don't see Jesus going up to guys who are religiously trained and knowledgeable and say, man, you are just so smart. We, we, don't, we don't see Jesus even going and seeing uh, like, uh, like high-level political leaders and being impressed by their, by their position. Jesus was not even impressed by the temple. Now, if you, if you haven't studied about Herod's temple, you should, you should go and look at it. it from, from an architectural standpoint and from our perspective, it is incredibly impressive. Some of the stones that they used to build Herod's temple, and I've actually been there and seen some of these foundational stones uh, from Herod's temple. They are, they're almost as big as this worship center. And how they made them and moved them is quite impressive. And the disciples at one point, they looked at, they looked at the temple and they saw all the buildings and they were like, wow, so impressive. Isn't it Jesus? And Jesus, in an unimpressed way, said, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left on top of the other. I mean, how do, we, how do we impress a God who is infinitely wealthy, that has done things that no one else can ever possibly do, and sits on a throne in heaven with all power and all knowledge? How in the world do we impress a God like that? You can't just go get a degree or read a bunch of books or really do hardly anything that, from our perspective that could impress him. But could there, listen, could there be something that I could do, that I could say, or that I could attain that would impress Jesus so much that he would do a miracle in my life? Now think about that with me for a moment. If there was something like that, if there was something that I could say or do or attain that would impress Jesus to the point that he would do a miracle, wouldn't you want to figure out what that was? Wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to say, hey, I'm going to make that my life goal, that I can impress Jesus to the point that he would do that? I've been, ask, I've been asking you to, uh, at the beginning of this series, I've, I've been asking you to pray about something in your life, something that would require a miracle. Maybe it would be a physical healing. Maybe it's something relational. Maybe it's something financial. I don't know. But I've been asking you to pray about that. And we're going to read today about a miracle that was done for a Roman soldier. And we're going to see something about that Roman soldier that impressed one of the rare times we see in Scripture where Jesus was impressed and then he did a miracle for him. Let's stand together. We're going to read in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. You can go ahead and open your Bibles. And we're going to read about this, uh, this more, more than likely, this pagan, uh, Roman, uh, idol-worshiping idol centurion um, who had an encounter with Jesus that I, I can't help but think probably changed him in an amazing way because it was something impressive that he said and did, and it prompted Jesus to do a miracle for him. Chapter 7, verse 1. 
After we, he had finished saying all these things in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews. Now think about that. He sent, this, this, this Roman soldier sent elders of the Jews. That's striking, by the way. Asking him, Jesus, to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And it was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends. This is the second delegation that the centurion sends to Jesus. He sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go when he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He was impressed. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The miracle was performed. God, today, teach us from your word. God, we know that Our goal is not to impress you, but God, we know that our goal is to be the people that you want us to be. And God, when we are, we know it pleases you. Help us, Lord, to be people that are pleasing to you. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When Jesus looks surprised, when Jesus looks impressed, When Jesus gets amazed by something, I think it's time for us to pay attention. The Bible says that this centurion, because of his humility, two key words, because of his humility and because of his faith, that Jesus marveled at him because he wasn't typically the type of person that most of us would expect to find that type of humility and that type of faith. We typically would expect, to, in, in that day, we typically have, have, have looked to the people of Israel, the only monotheistic people in the whole world, the only people in the whole world that weren't pagans were the Jews. We would normally expect, well, it would be those people that would rightly understand God, what he requires, and would expect faith. But no, that's not what happened. This centurion, this, this Roman soldier, and the, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at him. Now, this is not talking about an Avengers movie. Uh, This is talking about how Jesus, and I I just use the word impressed, but to marvel at something means to gaze in wonder. It means to be astonished. I, I think whenever Jesus is astonished by something, it's probably time for us to say, okay, what, what, what can I learn from that situation where the Son of God was astonished? And it was this, this centurion, it was his humility, and it was his faith, and it was the fact that those things were found in an unlikely place that astonished him. Now, before I talk about humility and faith, the two qualities that we're looking for, I want to talk about something that is a barrier to us having the humility and the faith 
that is pleasing to God. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about faith today because I feel like I spent a lot of time talking about it in the sermon last week. You can go back and you can find that on our website. So I'll just briefly mention it. But I want to talk about that this, this attitude of entitlement that we have to reject in order for us to have uh, the humility and the faith that we need. And so that's, that's kind of the first thing I want to talk about is uh, rejecting entitlement. If we want God to do something great in our life, if, if we want God to do something just completely amazing, and if we want to have the humility and the faith that God wants us to have, we have to reject any type of entitlement that we think that we might have before God. Now, what is entitlement? Entitlement is believing I have earned or I deserve certain treatment or certain benefits. How many of you like these types of people that are entitled? Anybody? Anybody say, oh yeah, I know a lot of entitled people at work or in my family or my friends. They're very entitled and I love being around those people. Anybody? No, said no one ever. We typically don't like entitled people. Uh, but but that, that's, that's what we see in this passage, though not from the centurion. We'll get there in a minute. But entitlement is believing I have earned or I deserve certain treatment or certain benefits. And if there's anybody that might have been entitled or might have felt like they were entitled, then it would have been this centurion. Think about who he was. He held a pretty high position in the Roman army, the strongest, most powerful army in the world. Um, he was probably what we would consider like the rank of, of captain. Now, he wasn't just top brass that kind of you know hung out in the head shed and told all the other soldiers what to do. He was actually a fighting man. He was a high officer, but he actually led men into battle. This was, this was respectable, I, I would think. He was also a man of wealth, a man of influence, and there was probably a lot about him that impressed the religious people. That's why these Jews came to Jesus on his behalf and said, hey, he's a good guy. I mean, he loves our nation. He, he loves our, he, listen, he, he built our synagogue for us. I mean, he is worthy. That's what they said about him. They said he is worthy to have you do a miracle for him. These Jews went to the Son of God and said, this, this person, because of his rank, because of his position, because of what he's done in life, he is worthy to have you do a miracle for him and to help him. He's earned it. He deserved it. Now, how, here, here's, a, here, here's the problem with this. While there may be certain points and times in this world that entitlement is okay, just like you feel like you're entitled to a paycheck after you work a job. I mean, obviously, there's a measure of entitlement, a measure of deserving that's okay in this world. But sometimes people go overboard with this. Sometimes they're just entitled even though maybe, maybe they're not. An entitled person is very demanding. They're very demanding because they've, they've earned something and they, de and they, and they deserve it. Uh, an entitled person also uh, likes to blame other people. If, they're not, if they don't have the station in life or the situation in life that they believe that they deserved, it's not their fault, it's your fault. It's your fault or whoever's fault because they're not in the position that they think that they should be in life. This is dangerous in our relationships with people in this world 
because we all know that we don't like people who are entitled, but this is absolutely spiritually toxic in our relationship with God. You cannot approach God with an entitlement attitude. Lord, I deserve your blessings. I've earned it. I've gone to church all my life. I mean, I'm a moral person. God, I've been following your commands. I've been on staff at a church. You know, I've, I've preached to people and I've taught people. And I've led people to the Lord. I mean, God, look at all that I have done. Lord, I deserve your grace and your favor. This absolutely does not work with God. It does not impress him. It does not prompt him to do something. Because what we do in a situation like that is we assign goodness to ourselves, And that's, that, that's really nothing more than just an expression of pride. And the Bible says God sets his face against people who are prideful. The, the, the Bible says that God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And listen, there's, real quick, there's two reasons why entitlement doesn't work with God. Number one, you, you're a sinner. The Bible says that you're a sinner. The Bible says that God doesn't give us what we deserve. That's mercy. God has given you mercy. God has given you grace. You're, you're, you're a sinner. If you got what you really deserved from God, you would get nothing but wrath. But also, another reason that entitlement does not work with God is because he has already given us his very best blessing that we could possibly imagine. He has given us Jesus on a cross that died for our sins. Even though we were sinners, God said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to pay for their sins by putting my son on a cross. Listen, that, 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 that's, the, that's the best blessing that we can possibly imagine that God has done for us. So we can never sit around and say, oh, God, you, you, you deserve me more. I mean, I, I've, 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 I've expressed faith, and I've called on you, and I've gotten saved. I'm going to heaven, and now I'm going to perform for you so that now you bless me and you give me the things that I've earned. This does not work with God. It does not lead to the humility that we see in the centurion. It does not lead to the faith that is required to be saved or to grow in Christ. Even Jesus himself was not entitled. He didn't come to this world and parade around and say, hey, I'm God, all of you bow down and worship me, all of you peons, you know, here I am. Um, that's not the attitude. Philippians 2 talks about his attitude. He, he set aside certain benefits of divinity. Even though he was still God, he set aside a throne and majesty in heaven. And the Bible says that he took on the nature of a serpent. And here's, here's the thing that we see in here. We see these Jews assigning worth and entitlement before Christ um, on behalf of this centurion. But we see the centurion himself, now this is important, the centurion himself rejected the he is worthy to do this for them mentality. He personally rejected the entitlement, but rather embraced humility. Look at what verse 6 and 7 says, how he embraced humility. 
he said, I am not worthy. It's almost as if he sends these Jews and they say, hey, he's a good guy, he's worthy. And he says, oh no, they messed that up. And so he sends his friends and says, go tell Jesus, I am not worthy. And I have no presumption. I, I, I don't presume to have you come under my roof that I'm somehow worthy of even your presence. If you need Jesus to do something amazing for you, our best shot is to posture ourselves in humility and faith. That's the best shot you have. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you get into this whole earning thing, I'm, I'm going to perform for God. I'm going to do some kind of good work. Oh, and now God, pay me, I've earned it. That, that, that just doesn't work with God. And what's going to happen if you get into this whole earning thing, I'm, I'm going to perform for God, and now he's going to pay me what he owes me. He's going to do for me what I expect for him to do for me. You're going to be very, very disappointed. And you're going to feel distant from God. And you're going to wonder, well, why doesn't God love me? Why doesn't God do things for me? I mean, I've done all, these, I've, I've done all of these things, and now he should do this for me. He should make everything okay in my life. It, it just doesn't work. And, and then what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up realizing that you're never going to be able to work hard enough. And you're never going to be able to accomplish that. The, secure, the, the centurion, he did not see him. This is so important. He did not see himself as meeting adequate standards for God's blessings. He, he, was, he was humble. Anything that Jesus was going to do for him was going to be a grace and was going to be a free and undeserved gift. Humility is everywhere exalted in Scripture as a premium spiritual quality. There's two ways of looking at it. Just like entitlement, we can look at ways that we act entitled when we deal with other people. Or we can, we can look at how we relate to God. It's the same with humility. The Bible says a lot about how we humble ourselves before other people, how we put other people above ourselves. But what we see here in this passage, what I want to talk to you about today mainly, is how we posture ourselves before God in humility. And the, the two really go hand in hand. If we're properly postured towards God, if we're humble towards Him, we have the attitude towards Him like we need to have. It's going to translate in how we relate to other people around us. Look at some of these verses that talks about whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I, I love Isaiah 57, 15. Because it talks about how high and holy and how lofty God is. And you would think that he would only want to be around people who met that same standard. But what God says, he says, I'm high and lifted up. I inhabit eternity. I'm holy. And I dwell in a high and holy place. But also with someone who is contrite and lowly in spirit. You know, God says that he's going to be with you and he's going to be close to you whenever you will humble yourself. And I'm talking about true humility, not false humility. But when you truly have a posture of humility before God, God has promised 
not that he would do everything you ask him to do. You may ask him to do something, and he may say no, but he has promised that he will be with you, and he has promised that he will revive you, that he will spiritually bless you, that, 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 he, will, that he will be next to you, and, and that he will be beside you. And is, isn't, isn't that primarily what we want? from God? Is, isn't, that, isn't that what we need from him most? There's so many other scriptures that, that, that talk about this, but humility should be our spiritual aspiration. When you read the Bible and you read God's word and you pray and you ask God to do things in your life, one of the things that you, could, you should ask God for is you should ask him for humility. You should ask him to help you with it. I don't believe that any of us are, are, are bent towards humility. We're all sinners and we're all selfish. And if we're going to be humble, we're, I believe that we're only going to find it in Christ. You should beg him for it. Either you humble yourself or either God will humble you. Think about that. You either humble yourself. The Bible says humble yourselves before the Lord. You either humble yourself or God will humble you. I don't claim to know a lot about humility. But I know a lot about being humbled. <laughs> Anybody else <laughs> say, yeah, I know a lot about being humbled. God's humbled me a lot in my life. And that's, oftentimes that's what we need. Oftentimes we have to be humbled before we can realize the, the, the quality of humility that, that God has called us to. And the best person that we can look at for humility is not another Christian, but it's Christ himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, And being found in human form, this talks about how this talks about Jesus, says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Think about that. God humbled himself. God humbled himself. It says that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he became nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know the cross? is the greatest display of humility that the world has ever seen. That a high and lofty God would deny himself and would come and die on a cross for us, for our benefit. That's the type of humility that we first need to learn before God, before it will ever translate towards other people. I've been asking you, to, I've been asking you since, since this sermon series started, to, to pray for something miraculous, to ask God to do something miraculous in your life. It could be a physical healing. It could be something relational. Uh, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe there's, there's, there's something going on with your family or, 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 or your kids. Uh, maybe it's something at work. I, I mean, it, it could just be all sorts of things. These are common things that we struggle with. But I've been asking you to, to pray for something, something miraculous that only God could do and only God could get the credit for. And as you've been praying for that, I hope, it, I hope that you've been humbling yourself before God. Not that he owes it to you. Not that you could say, you know what, God, you did it before. I know you have the power to do it. I deserve it. I'm a good person. Please do this for me. Not, not an entitled type of way, but but say, Lord, I, I, maybe I don't, I don't deserve this. I know that I'm a sinner. Every breath that I have is a grace that you've given to, given to me. But God, do something amazing and miraculous in me so that everybody else will see it. 
and, and, and will give you glory. Because this is the exact thing that leads to what we have to have in order to be saved. We have to have faith. And that's the last thing, express faith. That's what this centurion did. He expressed faith. And I don't have time to go through all this, but basically he said, Jesus, you don't have to come. I know you have the authority and power to do everything that you want to do. Just say the word, and I know that it'll happen. This was 100% complete trust and faith in Christ. And the way that he got there was, was not because he had a sense of entitlement, but because he had humility before God. We should expect nothing from God except what he has explicitly promised in Scripture. You know, and this is hard for us because, you know, we all want our children to grow up and, and, and be good people, Right? We want them to all grow up and be good Christians and not go off the rails and, and reject their faith. We, we, all wanna, we all want our grandkids to be healthy. We all want our jobs to go well. We all want to have a good boss. We all want, we want to have the things provided for us. We all want our bodies to be healthy. We don't want to be sick. Uh, we, we don't want to have cancer. We don't, we don't, no, we don't want any of these things. And this, this is what's hard. God is not promised that these things won't happen to you. He, 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 hasn't, he hasn't promised it. And we can never go, when they do happen to us, and when, when bad things do happen to us, we, we, we can't say, well, God, why did you do this? I don't, I, I don't deserve it. And we can't ever go to God and say, Lord, I want these things, and I've earned them. And I know that maybe you would never pray that prayer, you would never go to God and, and put your hands on your hips and stomp your feet and say, God, I earned this. You, you should do this for me. You might. Uh, by the way, if you do that, God can handle it. He's not scared of you. He, 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 he can handle that. And if that's all you have to say to him, then just take it to him. Take it to him and pray to him. God will, God will correct you. He, he, knows, he knows how to humble us. But we can't ever go to God with that type of mentality. We've got to humble ourselves. And this is the hardest thing. God hasn't promised that we're going to be healthy and wealthy. And if you hear a pastor on TV promise health and wealth, please turn him off. And please certainly don't give him money because he's the one that's going to be wealthy, not you. The, these things have to be... Uh, these things have to be prayed through very diligently. I understand that. But humility and faith are linked together. And Jesus was impressed by this non-Jewish person. He marveled over him, and he did a miracle in his life. I want to ask you a question. What do you think God owes you? As I've been going through this message, I want, you to, I want you to get that in your mind right now. I want you to think in your mind. What, you may have already thought about it. What do you feel like you're entitled to? What do you think that God owes you? Related to your health or your family or your job or your situations or your circumstances or, or any relationships or your marriage or whatever it might be. What do, you, what do you think God owes you? I want to ask, let's all stand. Can we stand? I want to ask you to bow your heads, and I want to ask you to close your eyes. And as you have your head bowed, as you have your eye closed, I want you to get firmly in your mind maybe something that has been revealed to you through this sermon, something that God has showed you, that you believe God owes it to you. You deserve it. You've worked for it. 
You're worthy of it. And now it's like you just expect God to give it to you. He, he, he just should pay it to you like a paycheck that you work for. What is it that you think that God owes you? And now what I want you to do in an attitude of humility and faith, I want you to give it over to him and I want you to be okay with God never doing it for you. I want you to pray that God would put you in a place where you would say, you know what, God? I'm okay in my relationship with you and I'm okay with life if you never meet all of my expectations. I want you to see if you can find it in your heart to pray that prayer of humility and trust. And maybe you just need to give it over to him. I, I want to just open up the altar if anybody wants to come. And maybe symbolically you need to take that that you felt entitled for. Maybe you just need to take that and you just need to lay it at the altar. If you want to come and pray and do that, you can do that. You can do that right where you're seated, whichever one, whatever you want to do. But you spend some moments in prayer. And if, listen, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can't work for it. You're not entitled to it. You just have to humble yourselves and express faith. Just call on Jesus and ask him to save you. Let's spend a few moments just praying. If you, again, if you want to come to the altar, you can do that. If you want to pray right where you are, you can do that. Let's spend a few moments praying, and then we'll sing.